for the week of November 3rd, 2019. This is Star Wars TV Talk, where we dive deep into all things Star Wars TV, as well as the latest news coming out of Lucasfilm. This week, we will be discussing the latest Mandalorian trailer, as well as the Lucasfilm announcement that they are departing away from the Benioff and Weiss duo, and we'll be reviewing Star Wars Resistance Season 2, Episode 4, Hunt on Selzer 3. And to help me with this, as always, is John. John, how you doing? Doing okay. I gotta admit that uh, new Mandalorian trailer has me uh, kind of stoked. Can't wait. We're, we're closing in on two weeks here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be good. Can't wait to break it down. Yeah, it's been a crazy ride. It seems like just yesterday we started this whole podcast in anticipation with mm-hmm. almost zero news on the show. And now we are just days away. I'm going to call it days, even though it's, you know, a little under two weeks. It's days to me. Yep. Yep. 11 days to be exact. We're uh, we're getting close. Well, before we get into that, I need to apologize because I... Uh, while I was visiting Batu, I ran into Mace Windu and I feel as if he force crushed my ribs into my lungs. <laughs> I am, uh, I'm struggling with a little bit of respiratory problem. So if I sound a little bit different, that is most likely why. Fortunately, we're only covering one episode of resistance tonight, so we can move pretty quick. Yeah, we're, we're going to keep it short and sweet for you just in case, uh, it does sound pretty bad. Well, what doesn't sound bad or look bad <laughs> is this Mandalorian trailer. Man, what is going on here? Always love your segues. Those are solid segues. <laughs> so we got to see a little bit more into this series with this new trailer. Um, was there anything that stuck out to you in this? Um, well, it wasn't any one thing. It was just the fact that we got so much fresh footage. We got a much better sense of the tone of the show, the more action adventure aspects of it. It wasn't all just this moody atmospheric sort of standoff discussion with this, you know, mysterious client. Like they, they weren't laboring on any one moment as much as they did in the first trailer. In this one, it's just, you know, a fast moving pastiche after pastiche after pastiche of all the fun things that we're, we're going to get to see in this first season. So what it does is just create all sorts of questions like, Oh my goodness. Like, why is there uh, a, uh, <laughs> a clone wars era battle droid, you know, in that shot over there, is that a flashback? Is that the Mandalorian as a boy? Is this the people that he's supposed to be protecting? Like you just, this one just really gets the gears turning a lot more than the first one. So if, if anything, I think that's my takeaway is that this was really, really effective at getting me excited for what's in store. Yeah, I mean, I was super excited while watching this. And then, of course, I'm shocked because I'm looking at it and it doesn't feel like a TV trailer. I mean, this thing was, it looks so amazing and it was cut just so perfectly that this feels like it is a a blockbuster hit. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, there is a lot of money going into it, so it probably should look that way. But I mean, it, it looks amazing. Yeah, but by Star Wars standards, this is still very modest budget you know they're they're used to being 100 200 million dollar production so uh maybe 10 million an episode is still <laughs> not a lot yeah. of money to try and stretch to to come up with an hour of television um but i i've always kind of felt that star wars is at its best when it is a little more constrained when people have to be innovative and figure out how to make the most of their budget and their sets and just you know just milk everything they've got i think it makes a director 
work a little harder to make every moment special. You know, when you can't just fix it all in post, you know, you, you kind of go the extra mile to make sure you you've really got it figured out during production. And you need that a lot more in TV because it's so fast paced. The budgets are tighter. And I, I think that that's the sort of thing that can actually really serve star Wars. Cause even though we always think of star Wars as epic and huge and, you know, just the, the biggest thing as far as what it could present on screen, the stories themselves were always very small and personal, like especially look at empire and how much of that just yep. takes place in the Falcon, you know, <laughs> or, you know, in a few small set pieces or in a carbon freezing chamber, that's the kind of stuff that you can do really, really well in TV. And when you are constrained and you have to get creative with how you're going to use your sets and your time and your cast, um, sometimes that's where the brilliance happens. So, uh, I, I, like I said, could not be more excited for the Mandalorian at this point. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't have anything else to add to that <laughs> other than it just, it looks incredible. Uh, and we are just so close yes. to seeing the first episode of this. So I'm excited. Yep. Yeah, it is going to be an amazing appetizer for the Rise of Skywalker. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, some other news broke out of Lucasfilm uh, this past week. <sighs> so David Benioff and DB Weiss have announced, along with Lucasfilm announcing, that they are departing. Right. That they are going their separate ways. Some outlets are reporting that there's this bad blood. Mm-hmm. However, the research just doesn't add up with that statement. So let's kind of get into this a little bit. But my takeaway from this is. Benioff and Weiss signed a huge Netflix deal for about, what was it, $250 million. <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a solid deal. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That's pretty lucrative. And so the news that I'm finding on it is basically that, you know, they, they came to Lucasfilm. They, they made this deal after the fact that they uh, are after this whole news about them developing the Star Wars series of films. Mm-hmm. And then Netflix, you know, kind of steps in, gives them a big portion of money and of course with money comes time and Benioff and Weiss we don't know what their schedule is like for Netflix but what I'm gathering is basically they went to Lucasfilm and said hey our schedule is pretty you know taken up by this Netflix stuff we don't really even know when we'll be able to get working on the Star Wars film and of course Lucasfilm said okay well best of luck to you and we're going to go ahead and move on so that we can get our other projects rolling Mm mm-hmm I mean, I mean, what did, what about you? Did you see anything else? <laughs> well, I, I gotta, gotta say that particular narrative. I don't think it passes the smell test personally. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I should preface this by saying, we don't know. Nobody knows. Most of the people who are speculating or, or claiming that, you know, they have the inside scoop online. Very few of them have any, uh, details to work from just some very, very loose anecdotal stuff that maybe they got through sources. But here's the situation. If they were signed up to do a trilogy with Lucasfilm Disney, that means they put pen to paper. You know, they're not coming out on earnings calls and announcing it. They're not announcing it at conventions. They're not bringing them out on stage. They're not going to announce this to the world if commitments weren't already in place. And if commitments were in place, then there's no way that they strike a $200 million deal with Netflix and they don't have a conversation with Lucasfilm about their obligations to the the trilogy that they'd been Mm -hmm. developing. So somewhere along the lines, it was decided that maybe Lucasfilm was okay with them going, because as far as we know, aside from maybe whatever exit fees came into play with them getting out of their contract, you know, this isn't something where we're hearing, oh, everyone's going to court and this big brouhaha and it's, you know, like Netflix and Disney going to war over Benioff and Weiss. Like 
whatever has happened has been settled a long time ago. And mm-hmm. it is what it is at this point. How we got to that point, it's anyone's guess. But, you know, I've, I've been in business for a while. And I know that you, when you got contracts in place, you can't just willy nilly go out and sign up <laughs> for yeah. some other, you know, conflict of interest. Um, it, it just doesn't work that way. So somewhere along the line, they got out of their contract. It may have been an amicable parting. It may have been, you know, I was hearing as early as, uh, May when the final season of game of Thrones dropped, that might've been when Lucasfilm in the midst of still trying to figure out what their next move was thinking that they needed to, you know, round these guys up to do some world building for them. You know, maybe they're stepping back and, and saying, uh, you know, maybe TV is our future. We want to double down there. Maybe it isn't quite as critical that we hold on to them. Uh, while at the same time, the sheen on Benioff and Weiss is a little tarnished because not everyone was happy with, you know, how Game of Thrones played out. So uh, feelings may have been different back in May, and it may have been a good time for everyone to part ways. And that's likely when it happened. And then, you know, because everybody uh, needs to be delicate in how these things are, you know, explained to the public. Uh, they probably gave them an opportunity to go out and strike a Netflix deal before word got out and, you know, let them get back on their feet and figure out their next move before it becomes this whole public brouhaha. So this is old news. It's just new to the public. Right. However it happened, at least it happened professionally where it isn't this whole big thing that, you know, we're going to watch unfold over months as there's a lot of back and forth and mudslinging and stuff. I'm glad that classier heads prevailed, but, uh, there's no way that Bob Iger just, you know, let someone walk on a three episode <laughs> deal, you know, for, for no good reason. Like, Oh, you don't want to do it anymore. That's cool. It, it doesn't matter if we just, you know, invested millions of dollars in development and, you know, we have billions of dollars in box office revenue riding on you guys. Yeah. If you don't feel like it and you want to go to our biggest competitor Netflix and you know make them rich so that we have uh, an even stronger enemy to fight in the streaming space no that's totally cool there's no way (laughs) that it was as simple as that however played out have no idea um i just hope that everyone left doors open because they are great world builders you know say what you will about how game of thrones ended everyone's going to have an opinion on that but star wars right now is in desperate need of visionaries people that can be the big picture guys that can build the world out with more scope and more um forethought than just the movie at hand and i think that's why they were so attractive to kathleen kennedy in the first place the fact now that you know they're out of the picture just means that lucasfilm continues to struggle to round up the brain trust and the talent and, you know, just really have a sure footing in how they're going to proceed with their movies. Is this why we're starting to hear Kevin Feige getting in the mix? More than likely. I have a feeling that, you know, as this was beginning to brew, you know, earlier in the year, that's when they realized, okay, well, you know, (laughs) it's time for us to really figure out who's going to, going to steer the creative ship at Lucasfilm. And my hunch without any insider information is that we're going to be seeing a lot more Kevin Feige involved in Lucasfilm over the coming year. So there's a lot going on behind the scenes or that did go on behind the scenes. It's not our business. However, it played out Benioff and Weiss. I hope whatever they do at Netflix is fantastic. And I hope that Lucasfilm finds the the people that are genuinely passionate about their projects that can really be those visionary world builders and uh, maybe can take us back to the old Republic or, you know, really do something fresh and fun with Star Wars. Those people do exist. And I know that Disney has the money to hire them. <laughs> so, yep. you know, uh, here's here's to the future and whatever that looks like. Yeah. And there's just nothing that's founded that could even think that this is the a similar situation where Disney is panicking right or, and Lucasfilm is panicking over this. So, no, you know, uh, life goes on mm-hmm. and people move on and people make movies 
and they make TV shows, and we're getting a lot of Star Wars movies and TV shows here in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Disney is not hurting for content right now. Right, yeah, and, and in the now, we get some pretty good content, and specifically, we get some Star Wars Resistance. Mm-hmm. Season 2, Episode 4. Yes. Hunt on Selzer 3. Mm-hmm. So this episode, there's basically a lot of chaos on the Colossus. Resources are scarce and citizens are threatening to leave, including Aunt Z and Niku. However, Yeager believes that Captain Doza should not allow them to leave as it would be dangerous for them and for the rest of the Colossus. And meanwhile, Kaz and Tora get an idea to hunt the monster on the ice planet nearby. Mm-hmm. All right. So this episode was a bit of a filler episode. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this was the adventure of the week. There's no great um illumination on the long-term plot. You know, this was right. just very much a uh yeah, we we got a monster that we established last episode. Let's have a little fun with him. Um and this is also just an episode that is geared towards the audience that watches Star Wars Resistance or the the gear audience or the target audience rather that uh that Disney's trying to go after. I mean, this is a very uh it, it's a more childish episode than the ones that we've had in the past. It seems uh, the past few episodes from the season one finale to the first three episodes in season two have been kind of mature. There have been some mature mm-hmm. themes and some higher risk going on um, and some darker themes even. And so this one, I feel like, was a, a bit of a relief episode in that, that it uh, goes back to the kind of the, what is it, klutziness of Kaz right. and... Uh, these ideas that that kind of kids get that they think, oh, this is a really good idea, <laughs> but you don't think everything through, and that's kind of what happens with uh, with Kaz and Tora here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very lighthearted, very playful, a lot of fun. Yeah, so Kaz and Tora, they're wanting to help out. They're doing the right thing, or in their minds, the right thing, and and the morally good thing. They're thinking, okay, what could we do? They're talking to both sides, kind of trying to bring people in, uh, and and find a middle ground. And uh, what they basically find out is like, yeah, if they're if we caught this monster on on Z, could cook it up, and it could be delicious and could appease everyone. <laughs> yep. So they, of course take that to heart. They go down there and uh, accidentally bring along Buggles, Tora's little beast friend. <laughs> Her chicken pug. Her chicken pug. Yeah, yeah. that's right. That's what, we were, <laughs> that's what you were calling it in season one. So yeah, we got, we got, we got Buggles <laughs> coming along this journey and of course is this, it, Buggles is really the central piece of this, of this story. They, it's kind of like the, the, the dog gets lost and finds its way home episode. Yeah, he's the um, the chaos factor, the thing that makes the plan go awry. In in addition to some stowaway pirates that um, I was genuinely surprised to still see on the planet, I couldn't figure out why the other pirates just left them there to die. I guess like is that is that what we're assuming is we saw the one ship go down into the fog yeah. after it got hit by the tail of the space manta ray. Um, so those were the same two pirates, right? That just run at them and steal their ships there when they come back. Yeah, I think so. And I like to imagine this is a, a walking of the plank and getting fed to the to the ice monsters. Kind okay, of yeah, thing. you can't you can't hack it. There's no um, honor among thieves, right? Like right. <laughs> if you're dead weight, we're not coming back for you. Um, it was just funny to see that because it never occurred to me that they wouldn't have just scooped them up and, and brought them all back. Um, I guess when you're watching a kid show, you just assume the best <laughs> in yeah. people. But yeah, no, they, they left them to freeze on that planet and uh, how they didn't manage to freeze. I'll, I'll never know. But yeah, they steal the ships. They maroon. Uh, 
um, Kaz and Tora, uh, Buggles runs off and creates havoc. And somehow in the midst of all that, they still managed to take down the beast. Yeah, they sure did. And everything worked out happily ever after. Um, we were missing out on the first order. There was no first order theme, no Tam other than just mentioning. Yeah, this is a, this is a placeholder episode. This is very much everyone's in a holding pattern. We're having our little adventure, but we are not even going to hint at the larger themes. You know, we, we're not checking in on Tam. We're not, you know, checking in at the galaxy at large. We know they're at war, but we're not seeing any of that. This is very much our fun little space manta ray adventure this week. Nothing more. And it looked good. The animation was, of course, on point the whole time. Uh, The ice planet, you know, with all the desert and ice planets going on that that some people like to complain about, like, why is there another ice planet (laughs) or another desert planet? I mean, this one was a unique one. Yes, it was an ice planet, but there was some uh, unique aspects to it, including the space snow manta ray. Mm. There's only so many terrains, right? Like, uh, there has to be something tangible about it, you know, that people can relate to. This one had fun, like ice spires that Buggles was able to get stranded on top of. Um, it makes for fun flying visuals when you have all the, you know, the obstacles of the different ice formations. It was moody and atmospheric because of all the the fog. So no, this is fine. This is this is Star Wars. This is ex- exactly yeah. what you would expect from, you know, some uh, fun planet where there's monsters lurking in the fog. I, I was totally on board for the environment, totally on board for the monster, totally on board for the whole thing. But you can't help but feel like, hey, wait a minute. There's there's more intriguing things happening. I, I really want to know where Tam's at with her training. Yeah. Like that's that's really the meat of the season so far is seeing her seduction into the first order and whether she's going to be able to kind of cling to her humanity and, and, you know, like find her way back to her friends. Um, so I'm more than happy to see them get on, you know, with the business of the day next episode, but still fun, a diversion every now and again. That's okay. Yeah. Well, one of the, one of the things that I was, uh, I kind of bit hard on was the, the idea that Niku might be getting seduced (laughs) by the citizens. Uh, Like whenever he first said, Oh, maybe auntie has a point. Yep. Very casually starts packing up his stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I I was totally thinking like, Oh wow. Niku's actually in a conflict here, but it turns out he's just working on something real nice. Uh, And it was really heartwarming to see that he makes everyone feel more at home by creating the nice little hologram roof thing that, that that looks like the sky back on, back on their planet, Mm -hmm. which is just a nice little theme there. Yeah. Now explain one thing to me though, because I wasn't quite tracking what we were looking at here. Mm -hmm. Is this a simulation of the sky or is this footage from maybe their surveillance cameras that he's parlayed into this holographic sunroof? Uh, What are we looking at? Because at one point a bird gonks off the glass and you get the gunk noise, you know, as, as it, as it vibrates the glass. So I'm trying to figure out what, what exactly are we looking at there or, Am I just being a, you know, uh, way too finicky about what's supposed to be just a a fun, sweet little moment. Did you have a beat on exactly what that was supposed to be and and how a bird somehow, you know, bounces off the simulated ceiling projection? Yeah. I I mean, I'm guessing that he, he created a series of screens and just is feeding the video footage through it is kind of how I was looking at it. So the past video footage from, uh, from when the Colossus was grounded. I, I, I think that's what we're looking at. And, and we have that space seagull flying into the, flying into the screen. So that's just a loop of prior footage of a bird flying into the glass somewhere. And that's just being repurposed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I cause we're, we're assuming there's no space. There's no seagulls in space. 
Well, I think <laughs> that the seagull got on to the Colossus when they evacuated. Oh, so you think it's flying around in there and it thought that yeah. it was a window because it sees it sees yep. clouds out there. So, oh, okay, there we go. That makes so much more sense. That My brain was like, <laughs> there's something that doesn't track here technically. Okay. So the the bird wasn't part of the hologram. The bird no. was hanging out in Aunt Z's diner yep. because it was a stowaway when they went to space and it thought, oh, great. Finally, the sky, I can get back to the mm-hmm. business of being a seagull. Yep. It gonks off the wall because it's not really the sky. It's yep. the side of the bar. Yeah. And, you know, 38 years old and I'm too dumb to track hey, <laughs> what hey, I'm seeing. Know. But uh, there you go. I think it would be far more entertaining to have a loop of the goal just kind yes. of flying in there. Yeah, because you only have so much footage. So every hour on the hour, that same bird flies into it. Okay, no, that makes so much more sense. I don't know why my brain couldn't, you know, wrap itself around <laughs> what I was watching there. All right, makes sense. Poor seagull. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, this episode, it was uh, it was definitely the lighthearted uh, filler of space and time episode. Yes. Um, but there were some aspects that I liked, and uh, especially the the diner area that Aunt Z kind of gets together and the way the method of how she was cooking the, the spit this, roast. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but it, it was very reminiscent of Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland. Oh, okay. So yeah, let's. Uh, uh, I'm just gonna sit back, regale me with stories of galaxy's edge well uh so this last week i went and i spent a couple of days at the world of mickey mouse in california and i went down there and spent a couple of days in specifically in galaxy's edge and just kind of taking in all this stuff and you know the only thing that you can really compare it to is if our listeners have ever been to universal studios uh, either hollywood or orlando and have visited uh the Harry Potter land, the wizarding world. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest takeaway that everyone has from those two places is just how well the, it it has been put together. And I, I felt even, uh, just as immersive in galaxy's edge, it feels like star Wars. I mean, as soon as you come into it, everything is just done, uh, perfectly. Any star Wars fan, you know, you are, you need to visit this place because it's just, it's incredible. It's, uh, it's very nostalgic. It's it's new, but yet aspects of the old are kind of brought in, and it feels like a world that we haven't visited in Star Wars yet, which is just really co- a cool place to be. Mm-hmm. And of course, there were people there. It turns out there were a lot of people. <laughs> okay. um, uh, and and on the Thursday specifically, we went as soon as the park opened, and they had they had a line coming all the way uh, as soon as you enter into Galaxy's Edge. There's a line for Smuggler's Run. Uh, I mean, it was, it, there was a lot of people and throughout the week and weekend, uh, it was one of the more busiest areas of the park. So it definitely was not a ghost town. All right. So we're not buying into this theory that, uh, the fan base has so turned on Disney era, star Wars, that they're boycotting the park and it's just going to be this abysmal failure and they're just going to, you know, close the doors and tear it all down in shame. Yep. And and I <laughs> had an opportunity to talk to a couple people in line because that's what you do in these uh extremely long lines. Sure, when you got time to burn. <laughs> uh and and I'll get into the kind of the other thing that they had us do in the line, but the first thing I got to talk to some people and one of the groups in front of us that was hopping on to the Falcon right before us, uh they were talking about how they weren't even Star Wars fans. Hmm. But this was their second time visiting uh Galaxy's Edge because of how crazy it is because of how it looks um they loved the food and typically park food isn't something that you necessarily just look forward to unless it's a good old churro but (laughs) hey uh 
you know, this was something they really enjoyed that aspect of it. So they just keep coming back, even though David, they admitted they haven't even seen the last two Star Wars films. Okay. All right. So it's got broad appeal. So we're, yeah. we're, we're pretty confident at this point that Galaxy's Edge isn't going anywhere. Yeah, and the ride, the Smuggler's Run ride, is the most immersive ride uh, that I've ever been on. I mean, you are you are literally controlling the Falcon throughout the whole time, uh, and and you're you're shooting guns or you're piloting or you're being an engineer. It's just it's a it's amazing. So I, I encourage everyone if you have the opportunity to go down to Galaxy's Edge, uh, you need to pay to visit because it's it's amazing. Yeah, someday, someday I'll, I'll find my way down there. Uh, yeah, it looks like it's a blast. And that's only the first ride. There's another one that's going to be coming online yep. here shortly. I don't really know how much has been released or, or what, what the ride is really going to entail. But this this is more of a traditional, you know, riding through obstacles type of ride. Okay. Um, where I'm assuming you are hopping. It, I'm assuming it's going to be something similar to star tours where you're going through these different areas but not the same i'm not trying to claim that it's just one of those things where uh, i'm assuming that it's going to be you're hopping onto a re- resistance ship and you come into conflict with the first order and you go through tunnels and take corners fast and all that fun <laughs> stuff but we're, we're not assuming that that's um gonna supplant um smugglers run as the kind of like the premier attraction at the park yeah. anytime soon no, I would I would think that Smuggler's Run is going to be the attraction forever. I mean, it, the way that it was set up, it, when you grow up watching Star Wars, of course, you have the dream of like, oh, my gosh, I want to be sure. in the Falcon. I want to fly yeah. the Falcon, you know, and so the fact that you get to do that is just it's incredible. And so I would never think that that any other ride would kind of take the appeal away from it. But, okay. you know, you never know what's up Disney's sleeve. Very good. Well, I'm glad to hear it's thriving and uh, I'm glad it's worth the price of admission. Hope to see it someday. Yeah, and uh, it's definitely worth the price. Uh, You're paying $8 for some blue or green milk. Uh, (laughs) I've had I had multiple blue and green milks. Uh, It's definitely not milk tasty. It's more of a frothy like raspberry it, it, it's it's hard to explain but it was good it was good it, it, uh, it comes out of the sea cow's nipples that way i guess yeah yeah it tastes like that sea cow is definitely eating on some sugar or something because there's there's a lot of flavors coming through ah oh, wonderful wonderful um oh well anything else on uh galaxy's edge that's worth breaking down well, I mean, they have the the app. So Disney has this new Disney Play app where uh, a couple of attractions throughout the entire park you can interact with. But in uh, it's definitely more present in Galaxy's Edge because you have like the data pad. You can take on certain missions, earn credits, um, you know, you collect disguises, all this kind of cool stuff that's uh, that you're doing. So, of course, when you're going through these long lines, you have more opportunities to interact with the world itself. Okay. Um, and it's just it's just really cool stuff. Uh, you know they did a good job Uh, I think they did the best job that they could on something Star Wars I don't think anyone could have done anything better excellent well these were the sort of things that we were hoping for you know when Disney bought Lucasfilm we knew that there was going to be movies but one of the things that George Lucas said that I think was probably more sincere than not was that there really isn't anyone else that could have taken Star Wars and really found its potential like really done justice to the property you know who who else other than disney could really make hay with star wars ip and create these kind of theme parks like i mean arguably maybe universal studios but there there's very few players that could really do something like this with star wars so 
you know, whatever people's misgivings are about, um, you know, some of the movie fair and, and maybe, you know, leadership at Lucasfilm, you got to admit that, um, under, under the umbrella of Disney, uh, Star Wars is definitely getting some much needed love and yeah. the attention that uh, a property like this really deserves that it, it never really had because Lucas always kind of kept it kind of in his sphere and kept it small and humble, uh, you know, compared to what most people do with their franchises. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's nice that we get treats like this that wouldn't have happened otherwise. So, hey, thank you, Disney. Yeah, sounds like fun. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a lot of fun, and I've enjoyed this ride, and I'm just looking forward to all the stuff that we're going to get here in the next two months, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're just getting so much content throughout here, so I hope listeners stick with us. They uh, they pay close attention to our website that we're developing, and uh, uh, pay attention to some of the shows that are going to be dropping for Star Wars TV Talk. Yep, very good. Well, uh, other than that, John, where can the people find you? If anyone would like to check out my other podcast, it can be found at snlpodcast.com. It's called the SNL After Party. You can also find it in any podcasting app of your choice. We cover all new episodes of SNL. We do a deep dive sketch by sketch review and cover everything in the, the world of sketch comedy as it uh, pertains to Saturday Night Live and that comedy institution. So uh, if anyone's into that sort of thing, by all means, find us at snlpodcast.com. And you could find us Star Wars TV Talk on Twitter at Star Wars TV Talk and pay close attention to our website. We're making some adjustments. We're adding to it. Uh, so until then, just stick with us and follow us on Twitter. You can reach out to us via email at, at Star Wars TV Talk at gmail.com. But other than that, John, I think we have a pretty good episode here. All right, let's call it.